Atmarie, welcome to First Up. It is Rahina, Monday the 17th of October. Kornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, new research shows kids who tell the blunt truth are often judged more harshly by grown-ups. And as the country's mayors gather in the capital over the next couple of days, we're going to catch up with a few of them about their first week on the job. First up, we're in Whangarei with Mayor Vince Kokurulo. And the cost of living is going one way. And it isn't down. What about the cost of meat? Terrifying. Just everything in the meat department's almost doubled in the last five years, I'd say. Beef and lamb are off the planet. You've only bought when it's on special. Atamaria, welcome to First Up on a big uh, day for uh, meat and veggies uh, here on the show. So uh, we've got that to uh, get through. We actually begin this morning, though, in the USA, where inflation has hit a 40-year high. Also, Harvey Weinstein's uh, second trial gets underway in Los Angeles. Lots happening in the USA. And there in New York City, it's Anna Burns. Francis, kia ora. Anna, how are you? Kia ora, Morena. Very well, thank you. It's a beautiful day uh, in New York City. I'm jealous. It's 14 degrees in here. Someone's been stuffing with the thermostat and we can't warm it up. So sorry if it sounds a little <laughs> weird. No, honestly, I've got two of the RNZ jackets on here. So sorry if it gets a little uh, noisy. Anyway, um, let's talk about important things. Jury selection. It's been held in this Harvey Weinstein LA, uh, LA trial. Also, this judge has ruled that Mel Gibson can testify. What's all this about then? Yeah, so this is Weinstein's obviously the, the second big case. So he's actually already serving a 23-year sentence for sexual assault and rape of a number of young women. You'll remember Weinstein, uh, the Hollywood film producer. Now, he kick-started, or the allegations against him, kick-started the Me Too movement. Uh, since then, he's actually appealed that New York trial, uh, or the result of it, and he's now, at the same time, facing another trial in California, a similar raft of allegations. But it's the witness list that's really got people talking, because as you said, Mel Gibson may be called to testify. Now, this is because one of Weinstein's alleged victims told Gibson about an assault that she says occurred at the hands of Weinstein. And now the prosecution have been allowed to get him on the stand to corroborate that story. Weinstein's legal troubles obviously have always involved a lot of high-profile names, not just as victims. And now his lawyers are saying that's not fair, Gibson is biased, because they fell out over the Gibson's Passion of the Christ film. So it's a lot of twists and turns to come. As for what actually will happen at the end of this, if he is convicted, he may not actually end up spending a whole lot more time behind bars if that appeal in New York fails. But if he's successful in that appeal, the LA trial and the result of it, if he's found guilty, may be the lengthiest stint he does behind bars. Wow. Um, yeah, I see that inflation has hit a 40-year high in the United States. What are we talking? Like, What are the levels that you got there? Pretty bad. You want to talk about fruit and vegetables? The price of food is just climbing still, really volatile. The price of gas, not so bad. But inflation last month was 8.2%. And some of those indexes seeing the fastest rises in 40 years. You've got to think it's well above what the Federal Reserve's target is, which is just 2%. Now, although the price of gas has eased off, it may not stay that way with those recent moves from the uh OPEC, but everything else is still climbing. That's food, medical, and housing. Now, the Fed's strategy so far has been to increase rates, try and tamp down on inflation. But, you know, that sort of tactic 
it's one of the few they've got and it's a little bit like taking a hammer to a nut. So it hasn't really worked so far. There is more pain to come. Oh, fantastic. Um, some uh, Across the pond from you in the UK, they've been going through some pain. It's not usually a leader leader's position in the United States to comment. Um, it's not like them to comment on an ally's internal political shenanigans, but I believe that President Biden uh, has uh, had some things to say about Liz Truss. What is that? Oh, you've got to think this was not on the speechwriter's cards, don't you? Because Joe Biden has gone sideways before, and this might have been one of those times, again, commenting on Liz Truss's chaotic tax plans that have obviously thrown her country's economy into turmoil. Now, remember, the UK and America have been allies for a long time, and diplomatically, there is no place for Joe Biden to be making public comment on how Liz Truss leads her nation. But he's clearly a bit worried that the turmoil might have an impact on America, saying he wasn't the only one who had concerns over, quote, the lack of sound policy. Now, why would America care? Well, because he's probably partly worried about the impact it might have on the upcoming midterm elections, which are just around the corner here in America. Democrats are being accused of destroying and mismanaging the US economy, which up until the pandemic was rocking along. So you suspect he's uh, going to be lucky, though, that the comments probably go under the radar a bit here. Liz Truss has got more than enough on her plate. She's probably not going to respond. And for most Americans, this might be a step too far removed for them to be worried. It's that, it's that inflation that's really got them bothered at the moment. I mean, but, you know, compared to how former guy used to uh, comment about other nations, I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> it's not the world's worst no, slip-up, no, is it? No, it's not. Hey, and fight, it's I not like going to start World War Three. <laughs> I love a good pun. I love this. A California bakery made Han Solo out of bread. Is it Pan Solo? Yeah. If you're American, it's Han Solo and Pan Solo. Oh, Pan mother Solo. and daughter creation. <laughs> Pan Solo. A mother and daughter creation. Oh, you've got to wonder what comes out of these. Well, this one, born and bred, took a whole lot of after-hours work, which is a bakery. You're already doing after-hours work, aren't you? Six foot tall, Han Solo created uh, as to look as though he's frozen in carbonite. Um, look, words, you probably should Google this. Words cannot really describe this sculpture except to say, I imagine it's rather inedible at this point because it's taken a month to bake all of these bits together. Uh, very on brand for this pair, actually. They're self-confessed science fiction nerds. Their bakery is called Game uh, of Scones, which doesn't quite sound right until you Ameri- remember oh, they're they American again. It's Game right. of Scones. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. And we end on the puns, and I say thank you very much. Anna Burns Francis uh, in amongst the gluten uh, there in the United States. It is 11 past five here at First Up on RNZ National with me. Nathan Rarity, well, Chinese President Xi says that Beijing would not renounce the right to use force in order to take control of Taiwan, which it considers part of China. In his opening address to the Communist Party Congress, the president also signalled there would be no let-up in Beijing's zero-COVID policy. The BBC's Stephen MacDonald has this report. Xi Jinping entered the Great Hall of the People as a leader confident that he enjoys unchecked power. But in his opening speech, what many would have been listening for is a hint that strict COVID restrictions might soon be eased. The short answer, no. People's lives come first. We will not waver in our zero COVID policy. There was no acknowledgement of the financial or social pain caused by the policy and no mention of youth unemployment or the property crisis. 
Those listening for specific solutions were not rewarded. The epidemic has really hit the macro economy, and I was hoping to hear some new policies to help people. If we could find a job, we wouldn't be studying for a master's degree right now. On matters of great international concern, Mr Xi defended the Hong Kong crackdown, which he said had restored order. With the island of Taiwan claimed by China, he said Beijing wouldn't rule out force to take it. A few days ago, protest banners were hung off a Beijing bridge calling for Xi Jinping's removal. There's always increased security in the city when these big political meetings happen. But this time round, these bridges are being guarded round the clock. And seeing these guard stations is probably the closest most people come to engagement with the Congress. When this meeting finishes in a week's time, Xi Jinping will have moved into a historic third term in office. The most powerful Chinese leader since Mao Zedong. That was Stephen MacDonald reporting from Beijing. It's 13 past five, Monday morning here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. We're across to Europe now, where our correspondent, Nita Blake-Person from the First Up Europe office is standing by. Kia ora, Nita, how are you? Good morning, uh, Nathan. I'm very well. How about yourself? I'm very good. Gosh, we got quite German. We found out that Giles could speak German on Friday, so um, that's quite good. Here we go. Hey, tell me this. There have been strikes in France. Why? Well, energy prices are at the core of the issue here, an ongoing issue right across Europe. We're hearing loads about it. But in France, it's uh, due to oil depot and refineries having strikes. Basically, the workers there want a share of some of the profits from um, this oil giant Total Energies. They've been um, skyrocketing profits, basically, after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They were able to pay out about 8 billion euros in dividends recently. So workers from one of the major unions want a 10% pay rise to cover their own cost of living and basically to get a piece of that pie. But the company's been at a two-week standoff with with workers now. And as this drags on, petrol stations across the country are actually running out of gas. One in three petrol stations struggling for fuel and big queues at the petrol stations that do have supplies reports of people waiting hours to fill up and this is kind of one of the symptoms of discontent over this cost of living and struggles with energy and gas prices which is taking its toll right across Europe in several places there have been protests in Prague smaller ones in Germany and all of this is before winter even really starts so governments are are now figuring out what levers they need to pull to make sure people are warm and able to cover their bills over the coming months. Mm. The the German uh, Chancellor wants to uh, grow the European Union to make it stronger. Now, this is interesting. When was the last time the EU actually added any new member states? Quite a while ago now, nine years. Uh, when Croatia was accepted back in 2013 and that process took a good decade to sign off Um, but with the backdrop of Russia's invasion of Ukraine the EU is looking for ways to strengthen itself and Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz made a speech this weekend in which he said if the EU were to grow it could better pull its weight on global affairs there are currently 27 members in the EU but Scholz said if that were to be 30 or 36 uh, with more than 500 million citizens it could bear its weight more strongly 
Maui. And he also said if the EU continued to grow eastward, it would be a win-win for us all. So a very clear comment in relation to Ukraine and the pressures facing Eastern Europe at the moment. Uh, Ukraine and Moldova were granted EU candidate status in June in the wake of that war in Ukraine. Right now, though, all 27 members of the union have to approve another country before it can join. So a very slow process and we probably won't see any drastic changes on this soon. Okay, let's talk about Ukraine. Um, Dominates everything. Now, one of the things that had been going on was uh, Elon Musk's Starlink satellites flying over there and providing the internet. And then he was told, you know, don't do that. It's bad for Russia. And then he wasn't going to. But I see that um, after claiming that it was costing him 100 million US dollars to do so, he's now decided, no, 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 I will keep providing it. Why did he have the change of heart? Not entirely clear yet why such an about-face. I mean, he probably can afford it, but he had said that uh, his company, SpaceX, couldn't afford to keep funding this satellite service indefinitely and was basically asking the US Pentagon to help pick up the the tab. Um, As you mentioned, these satellites have been pretty um, vital in the Ukrainian side of this war because they provide essential communications. They've got all these wee uh, satellites which were activated back in February and they've kind of been keeping Ukraine's military online. Um, But on Saturday, after threatening to pull them, he did a flip-flop and said on Twitter, the hell with it. Even though Starlink is losing uh, money and other companies are getting billions of taxpayer dollars, we'll just keep funding Ukraine government for free. Um, The Pentagon has confirmed it's been in communication with SpaceX, but has not said whether it was over the funding of the Starlink satellite. So not clear yet who's paying for the service to keep rolling but um i think musk's most recent net worth was put at 254 billion so hopefully he's not put out of pocket too much i just imagine nita that he's got like 100 million just sitting in the ashtray of his car you know just in coins down the back of the couch absolutely yeah just he wouldn't (laughs) even know what that was he'd be like 100 million who even has that no idea what is the touch Uh, that drop in the ocean drop in the ocean absolutely (laughs) cheers thank you very much nita blake person there who joins us from europe every week It's 18 past five. I'm Nathan Radere. You are listening to First Up here at RNZ National. So coming up, obviously uh, rising cost of everything going along. Let's have a look at the rising cost of meat this morning and how it's affected buying habits. And also we're going to hear the latest research into little kids and their little fibs. There they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Some as big as your head. Halfway through October already. I know, it's actually back to school uh, too for a lot of uh, families, so the roads will be clogged in a little bit, and you'll go, why is it always so clogged? School's back. Summer just around the corner. Joining me now from the Fresh Produce Markets is the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. It was nice. It was sunny. The birds were out. There was just a bit of bird song. It just the wind had a little bit of chill taken off it. It was just beautiful. Uh, thank you very much, Glenn. And I understand you were in one of the absolute absolute sun hotbeds of New Zealand in Nelson. What were you doing there? Yeah, we've been wanting to rave about this grower for years, and what better time to do it on their fiftieth birthday? JSU is in Nelson. So in 1972, John and Margaret Ewers purchased an orchard in Appleby and never looked back. These guys are quality plus. Now owned now by NG Marketing, a magnificent produce wholesaler of New Zealand, and and incidentally, turning 100 years 
themselves next year. They manage 13 hectares of glasshouse product and 19 lines of fresh vegetables on 250 hectares of land. Now, in their peak, they have 200 staff, and general manager Pierre Gargiulo is fourth generation in the industry, and he runs a top operation there. So, look, I'm so jealous because most of their amazing produce gets eaten in the South Island. What's pumping out of their glasshouse this week? Lots of eggplant and all colours of capsicums, but it's their delicious tomato range taking the gold medal today. They do the large truss to the small cherry they also do the vine bites now that's a cherry variety with with punch there's uh, there's the vespolino which is a lower acid tomato and their best seller a real crackerjack the sweet delights that's a small to medium sized tomato and we're right moving into the tomato season now nathan so yeah very good grower and um and, and there in nelson please support them J- you, know, you know, like we, we support our growers as well, and of course we do, but also we're, we're quite important as a market for uh, growers from the islands. Are, are we importing much from the islands at, at this time of year? Yeah, yeah, looking at the floors this morning, like vegetables, the crazy cold, wet, and unsettled weather seems to be getting behind us for now, and we are seeing more consistency in arrivals of fresh vegetables. The pick of your greens are silver beet and lettuce, and there are plenty of white butter, mushrooms, courgettes, cucumbers, and of course asparagus, dubbed the queen of veggies here this year. Potatoes are in good supply with the delightful agri available, and new season carrots and washed white potato varieties are starting to transition to Pukekohe this week. Now, as you've just said, we also benefit from Fiji with their unique lines coming here at the moment. Now, they include their eggplant. That's it's a skinnier, light purple and colour variety, plus their curry leaves, okra and turmeric. So lots of good goodies coming from there. Finishing on lettuce, however, you as mentioned, they have plenty. So does Auckland. It's heavy and it's great quality. You can't freeze lettuce to eat fresh later. So that's our pick this week on vegetables. You know, crack on with that and crunch into some lettuce this week. Righty-ho. Um, not much changing over in terms of fruit, though, is there? There's, I mean, are we st- we're still in that in-between time of fruit Oh, a little bit nervous, Nate, for Fruit of the Week when we next chat, but Friday week looks a given. However, again this morning, a little lean for the fruit basket, apart from avocados. New Zealand strawberries, they're picking up in numbers, and they join fresh New Zealand blueberries. Blueberry pricing got as low as strawberry prices today, so they will be good buy. They will be a good buy indeed. Refreshing citrus options are tangelos and afora mandarins. We still have plenty of apples with schoolback this week and green kiwi fruit also available. We spotted some good numbers of Samoan coconuts and Australian pack and pears too. Uh, now equal parts of raw sugar and fresh coconut sprinkled on a cake can make a quick and quick and easy topping. So that's something we learnt as kids. Not sure if that's done too much now, though. I haven't heard of that one. I'll yeah, give it a go. go. Thank you very much, Glenn. Yeah. There he is. He's up early in the morning for you on Monday and Friday because he loves you. Here at First Up, we love hearing from him as well, the Minister of Fruit and Veg. Get him into you. Sing your Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life, we call the 17th of October. Happy birthday, George Went, who was 34 years old when he played Norm from Cheers. And when we learnt just a couple of weeks ago that um, John Ratzenberger, who played Cliff Clavin, uh, was actually also uh, auditioning for the role of Norm. Well, weird. But of course, uh, George Vent had done it and was so much better, and Cliff Clavin 
Well, he basically invented the character of Cliff Clavin by talking him into it. Anyway, uh, happy birthday to you, Eminem, Marshall Mathers, 50 years old today. Uh, and also happy birthday to Ziggy Marley, who is 64. Probably a big first-up listener, I would say. Born on this day in 1938, Robert Craig Knievel. Now, young Robert uh, got into ski jumping quite early. He was the Northern Rocky Mountain Ski Association Class A Men's Ski Jumping Champion. Then he decided to take up something less dangerous, and he went and going to do stunts and jump over cars and stuff. Uh, so he did. He uh, was known as Evil Knievel, of course. He broke 37 bones during his career as a stuntman. Um, and I was fell into a bit of a rabbit hole. I always loved his suits, you know, the white suit with the, the stars on it and stuff here. He was inspired to wear that by watching Liberace. And he said, Liberace's not just a performer, he's the epitome of what a showman is, and I want to be one of those as well. So there you are, Evil Knievel, inspired by Liberace. On this day in 1968, New Zealanders saw two US athletes, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, make a raised fist protest against racism uh, on the podium at the Mexico Olympics, 16th Mexico, 17th here. On this day in 1989, a massive earthquake struck right in the middle of a game of baseball in San Francisco. The World Series had started. That earthquake was a 7.1 on the Richter scale, 42 people died, and on this day in 2018, recreational marijuana became legal in Canada. So, had a bit of a look there. Between the years of 2018 and 2021, 556 billion New Zealand dollars has been added to the Canadian GDP, according to Deloitte's, because of the legalising of marijuana. Uh, Nathan, we've got a little bit of a correction. Uh, what? Oh, what Ziggy, Ziggy Marley's only 54, not oh, 64. 54. Sorry, sorry, bad maths yeah, by me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry Thank you that. very much. No, that's got an either. Thank you very much, Katrina. 54. There we go. Joining us now from our business team, it's Ananzaki. Kia ora, sir. How are you? Morena. Very well, thank you. I heard a bit, you're a bit cold. Yeah, I think, no, no, I think the aircon's gone up to 15 degrees now. Wait, hang on, I'll just put my glasses on so I see the other side of the studio. No, sorry, I lie. 14 and a half still. Tropical. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's really good. I should just bring all my groceries in. They'd stay nice and fresh in here. Now, actually, speaking of that, you had a story a couple of weeks ago from this company called Beyond Meat, which makes non-meat things, and their CEO who got in trouble for biting a human being on the nose. Uh, what's the update on this? Yes, it was the chief operating officer. Um, I told you, uh, yes, Beyond Meat, the vegan food company, uh, CEO. Uh, Chief Operating Officer, COO, I guess. Oh, COO. Uh, <laughs> COO. Um, so his name is Douglas Ramsey, and he allegedly bit a man's nose at a college football game in Arkansas, where all good things happen. Well, uh, he's gone. Uh, he's gone, Burger, uh, and his exit was done fairly covertly. Uh, his departure comes uh, amid this uh, broader shake-up at the company. It's axing 200 staff, uh, which is about... 20% of its workforce. So it was all announced part of this big redundancy uh, and the company refused to comment specifically on his departure. Uh, they did say that he left last week and the BBC reports uh, that this is coming at a very tough time for Beyond Meat, which is struggling with uh, faltering demand for fake meat. Uh, so it was all a bit hush-hush. He is facing charges. Uh, last we heard 
He is due to appear in court uh, sometime this week, New Zealand time. So uh, it is all uh, very hush-hush, like I said, uh, but we're all looking forward to seeing uh, what ne- what happens next in this uh, rather bizarre case involving a company executive. A college football game. One of the weirdest bits of Twitter is seeing videos of people who are old enough to know better just off their face drunk and being... Real eggs at, at college football games. It brings it out of them. I don't know what it is. Apparently, you'll bite another nose while you're there. Uh, they need a bit of stadium food. Hey, tell me about this. Um, wholesalers being told to up the digital and data game. How so? Yeah, we have this industry report from Westpac New Zealand, and they say uh, that the country's near 17,000 wholesale firms. Uh, That's a lot of wholesale firms in New Zealand. Uh, They face a dim outlook if they don't innovate. So they are saying that wholesalers need to improve on their digital uh, data logistics and customer services or risk being bypassed. And uh, Westpac say that uh, wholesalers generated... Uh, sales of $138 billion in the year uh, ending June. And they say most of that was done using old school business practices uh, instead of things like e-commerce and analytical data tools used by some of the more savvy market players. And they say the main reason uh, for the lack of co- uh, innovation is being it's being put down to weak competition, uh, which is also, uh, also undermined by uh, contractual agreements that limit choice. Now, Westpac uh, industry economist Paul Clark, we spoke to him. He told us uh, that uh, another key reason that wholesalers are lagging behind its offshore peers is because we don't actually have a big e-commerce giant uh, like Amazon operating here, which would actually raise market expectations if they were to be operating locally here. And uh, he says the Amazon effect would also change expectations of uh, just wholesalers', wholesalers uh, business customers. Uh, who have to respond to changing customer demands, uh, not just in price, uh, but uh, and delivery as well, we have to uh, remember, but uh, they also have to uh, respond to environmental and social concerns as well. So a few recommendations uh, in this report for wholesalers in New Zealand uh, to expand. Uh, they need to expand their e-commerce offering, make it easier for customers to do business and uh, automate and integrate uh, supply chain processes. So... Uh, a bit of uh, moving ahead with the times, I think, uh, for wholesalers. Yeah, exactly. There we go. And thank you very much for your time. See, it's the innovators that always win, everybody. Innovators. There you go. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. If we go to market with your New Zealand dollar today, it will buy you the following. 55.63 US cents, 89.64 Australian cents, 56.92 Euro cents, 49.79 British pence, 4.01 yuan and 82.74 Japanese yen. Time to talk a bit of sport with Barry Guy, who's with me now. Kia ora, Barry, how are you? I'm, I'm very good, Nathan. Um, Although I'm getting a bit of echo. Oh, you are? Oh, we're getting a bit of echo. Back I'll work forward. around that. You carry on. Okay, that's weird how that's happened to us recently, I don't know. Um, I was going to start with the World Cup, but I won't. Tell me about the netball, because yes. th- this is astounding. 
I know, they're doing very well. Uh, they beat Australia 52-48 in the second Constellation Cup Series uh, in Tauranga last night, and they lead 2-0. Uh, very good by the Silver Ferns. It is quite an inexperienced Australian side that they have playing at the moment after the Commonwealth Games. Uh, they've uh, lost a few players, and they're obviously uh, building towards the World Cup uh, next year. So there is a little bit of experimentation going on there for Australia, but again, very impressive. Uh, great and wicky, uh, 100% of the shooting, 37 out of 37. Uh, it was uh, close for the first half, Australia leading by one goal. Kate Heffernan then moved from uh, wing defence, where she'd started earlier uh, into centre. Things seemed to turn around. They went on like a 15-9 run in the third quarter and then held on. So encouraging signs for the Silver Ferns. Uh, so they haven't retained the Constellation Cup just yet. Uh, it's uh, 2-0, but there are another two games in Australia now, and if it ends up uh, two test seats, then it goes on a gold differential count back. So still plenty of work to do for the Silver Ferns, but good stuff. Yeah, no, good to see them. Um, before we get into the Rugby World Cup, let's on, just give me a, what's happening in the, in the T20, because I think we've started that World Cup, haven't we, in Geelong? Uh, yes, well, it's the preliminary competition yeah. at the moment. Uh, there are eight teams involved in that. Uh, Namibia beats uh, Sri Lanka, who are the Asian Cup finals uh, uh, champions, by 55 runs last night. So, um, which is a shock upset there. Mm. So, Sri Lanka and the Netherlands are the two of the top teams, uh, and the West Indies that are in this preliminary to then go to the Super 10 or 12 or whatever it is. <laughs> so you have to finish in the top two in your group to get through to that. So Sri Lanka need to win all of their remaining matches to then join uh, the main competition. And as uh, far as New Zealand's concerned, that starts on Saturday against Australia. Australia. So that's, um, yeah, coming up. So uh, all very exciting. And I see that um, Daryl Mitchell, who had an injury, uh, broke a finger, I think it was, hopes to be ready by the second game of the Black Caps competition there. Righty-ho. And um, it was a uh, exciting weekend in Waitakere, uh, the, the little stadium there, and uh, the Black Ferns. I saw Ruby Tui saying, no, that was tougher than, than we thought it was going to be. They were really good. Even though yeah. the score was big, they weren't that happy with how they went. Well, I, the first 20 minutes was all Wales, pretty much. Was. Uh, yeah, they got uh, the Black Ferns got pushed around. I think they need to get uh, Mike Crom back in to help in the scrum because the Blackfern scrum went backwards uh, for most of the first half and they uh, didn't really get uh, any decent ball, uh, uh, no front football, as they, as they were saying. So uh, some of the um, more experienced, uh, Crystal Murray, um, uh, Santo Tomata came on and that uh, solidified things in the scrum and it was a lot more solid then and then, and then they took control. So in the end, it was a convincing victory. Uh, but uh, there were some problems in the scrum and a couple of other areas. Too many mistakes once again, trying to offload perhaps when you should hold on to it and those sorts of things. Uh, but uh, good stuff there, two from two there into the quarterfinals. Um, and also Fiji beat South Africa last yes. night for their first ever win uh, at a Rugby World Cup. So congratulations to them. And coming up this morning... Uh, the Kiwis Rugby League World Cup opener against oh. Lebanon. Oh, and that's been played at uh, Warrington 7.30. I think in the game that's on at the moment, uh, Ireland uh, leading Jamaica 12 nil. There we go. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, there is Barry Guy with all that is happening in sport. And, of course, RNZ uh, will keep you updated right across the day as we stay abreast of what is happening in sport. A new study is suggesting that adults don't always actually appreciate children telling the truth as much as they say they do. In fact, research shows that kids who tell blunt truths 
often end up being more harshly judged by grown-ups. I spoke to the author of that paper, Texas State University professor, Dr. Laura Brimble. My colleague and I, Dr. Crossman, we were interested in pro-social lying and how parents and adults in general might socialize it or respond to children who lie pro-socially. And so we did a study where we filmed children of different ages and showed those videos to adults and parents and asked them, what do you think about these children lying or telling the truth in different situations? Was it a lie that you told the kids to uh, to tell or was there a situation you put them in where you knew that they would lie once they were asked a question on it? Yeah, so it was a situation that we gave them. So so we, we asked them about different situations. So there were two types. There were protective lies um, where they were telling a lie or telling the truth where the lie was to protect a sibling and the truth was basically ratting their sibling out. The other types of lies were polite lies where they were lying to, to protect someone's feelings. If someone cooked for them, they said, oh, this food is good, even though the food wasn't good. And so the interesting thing is that the the protective lies were viewed kind of as antisocial lies where the children were judged harshly for lying. But the polite lies were the interesting ones where the liars were judged more positively than certain truth tellers, which is uncommon. Generally, lying is, is viewed very poorly. I almost thought that perhaps there's something quite cute about the little kid lying to protect the the other person. Like you've just described in there, though, that when you say the word lie, there's about four or five different sorts of lies you've put in there. So that's it's it's quite an interesting thing for a, a child's brain, isn't it, to be able to separate it out into the different sorts of fibs you can tell? Yeah, definitely. And so it, it's interesting because you know children develop the ability to lie around two or three. It's actually it's an indication that they developed this ability to lie. Um, it's actually a, a good thing. It means that they've developed something called the ability to tell that what they know is different from what someone else knows. But typically, the first lies that they tell are antisocial. Generally, those pro-social lies, so like, you know, kind of the, what you were saying, the cute lies where, where they're lying to protect someone or, or lying to be polite, those pro-social lies come later. So why, when you were talking about the adult responses then, do you think that, what, children were judged more harshly for telling the truth? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we asked our participants to rate the children on a lot of different characteristics. And basically what we saw is that they responded differently to ratings of honesty and trustworthiness compared to other kind of general more like, you know, is this child kind? Is this child warm? So their ratings of trustworthiness were really low for liars consistently, but it was kind of the general disposition of the child that was rated more positively in the polite lies. So I think it's it's kind of complicated, right? Because you want you want a, a an honest child, but you also want a child that's likable. And if they're lying to be polite, then you're going to like the child. But you may think like, oh, they're they're not an honest child. So that's not a good thing, but it's complicated, right? You've done your study here and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Apart from talking to me here in New Zealand, what, where, where do you take this sort of paper and what do you hope that will develop out of it? You know, a lot of different things. I, I think it's it's really interesting because, like you said, you know, it's it's a complicated thing. Like whether you want children 
to, to lie or not to lie. I think it, it, it is really culturally dependent. So I think it, it'd be really interesting to see if there are kind of cultural differences in different cultures, how, how children are socialized in certain cultures. It is really encouraged to politely lie or in other cultures, not so much. That's Dr. Law Brimble. It is 17 and a half to 6. I'm Nathan Rarere. You are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Thanks for that. Still to come, we've done fruit and veggies this morning. We're going to have a look at the price of meat uh, very soon. And also, it's meat, the new mayor's week on First Up. This morning, it's Whangarei's new mayor. The professionals of Morning Report are here after 6 o'clock. Standing in his gloriously warm uh, studio is Corin Dan. Kia ora, Corin. How are you? Kia ora, good morning. Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, is it a bit chilly up there, is it? Yeah, I've heard stories that uh, you've got upwards of 15 degrees in your studio. Yeah, we like to keep it about 15. <laughs> I don't know what we keep it at, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I haven't got the puffer jacket on this morning. No, no. I didn't need to put the puffer on, so there you go. Well, I look like a reporter. Right. I've found out, this is good for the audience here, wondering, what about, the, are they spending the money properly? They are. This RNZ jacket... On the outside it has RNZ, but on the inside it's like a highlighter so I can wear it for safety. So there you go. Cutting costs. High vis in one. Very good, very good. Uh, Well, we've got a very busy show of politics this morning, I guess. Uh, It is uh, that time. Uh, Winston Peters once again coming out with his... Well, you'd have to say fairly uh, predictable and usual Corin, lines that we've heard I, many times before. I've come, I came from, obviously, the, the sports person world in the last 10 years, and we had this stage of the news cycle in sports, but that was called David Moffat Says. So right. now... <laughs> The, in politics, it's yes. Winston Peters says. It's just uh, it's yes. one of those things, isn't it? It never, yes. it never goes away. Uh, anyway, we'll get the we we'll hear from Winston Peters on the show. He's claiming, of course, that um, this government is pursuing a woke virtue signalling uh, agenda madness or something oh, yeah. along those lines. Uh, the Prime Minister will respond. She will be on this morning for her weekly chat as well. So we'll see whether she's um, prepared to uh, rule them in or rule her out. We might play a bit of that game this morning. Uh, it yep. is getting closer to election year. Of course, John Key once did, in fact, uh, rule out Winston, I think it was 2008. So it's it's not unprecedented. Uh, we've also, uh, we'll, we'll definitely catch up on what's happening with uh, President Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party at that massive Congress and whether or not uh, he is likely to get a third term there, which is pretty significant. Mm. Uh, also check in on a lot of sport, as you say, over the weekend, the Black Ferns, the Silver Ferns, the Kiwis are in action this morning. It's hard to keep up, actually. Sport's going to be very busy three, three months. It is. Thank you very much, Current. Uh, there we are, up after six o'clock with all the good stuff there for Morning Report. Well, latest figures from Statistics New Zealand show that food prices are at a 13-year high. Fruit and vegetables have had the steepest increase at 16% compared to the same time last year, while meat prices have risen by 6.7%. So what do consumers think? Reporter Leonard Powell went to find out what's behind the rising costs. Ian Groves knows a thing or two about meat. The Allersley Meats owner-operator has been a butcher for 44 years and he's never seen anything like the prices his customers are currently paying. Beef, when I had a look back at beef five years ago, uh, we were paying $6.20 a kilo on a carcass of beef. Now we're paying $8.40. And the time you add your GST into that and your weight loss when you bone everything, you're probably looking at about $13 cost per kilo on a side of beef. So. Everything's just gone up from that. Lambs have doubled in price in the last five years, so it's not really anything very cheap these days. He tells me buying habits have changed, 
with people cooking differently to make meat go further. They're looking more at things like the, the prime mints where you could get say two or three meals out of a kilo of mints instead of buying a lower grade product and it might just do one night so like you can let's face it you can do a lot with mints you can do lasagnas and all these you know really nice meals with plenty of veggies thrown in. He says the cost of labour and running a business has also forced prices up. The last five years especially and you add to that the minimum wage where we used to have clean up boys and uh, Saturday workers would have five or six of them here on a Saturday and back five years ago now we're down to two just with the wage increase. Everything sort of adding on adding it's pretty endless. The food price index shows meat and poultry have risen 7.6% year on year with poultry up a whopping 19.5% in August compared to August 2021. So what do consumers think? Terrifying. I took a trip out to the Auckland suburb of Massey. I wanted to find out how meat prices compared between the butcher, the two supermarkets and the newly opened Costco, which offers a limited selection of bulk meat packs. These shoppers gave me their thoughts. What changes have you noticed? Just everything in the meat department's almost doubled in the last five years, I'd say. And what meat in particular have you maybe you once went for that's it's now changed particularly? Maybe steak. I draw the line at paying $50 a kilo for it. Beef has been always expensive. And chicken. Yeah. Beef and lamb are out of, off, off, the, off the planet. You know, like you only get it when you've only bought it when it's on special. Inside Costco, hordes of shoppers were lining up for an $8 rotisserie chicken. Pack and Save fared slightly more at $10 or $13 if you were after free range, while Countdown would set you back $14 and $15 respectively. In the sirloin steak department, Pack and Save led the way at $31 a kilo, while at Countdown it was $35.50. Costco had Australian sirloin steak on offer for $35 a kilo, but the smallest pack I could find came prepackaged at 1.7 kilograms. Ellerslie Meats sirloin came in at $40 per kilo. These customers told me they're changing their ways. Spending habits have changed. Less meat. Well, you're supposed to eat more veggies, but let's face it, it's difficult as well, isn't it? I don't eat meat as often as I used to. What do you feel like is the cheapest now? I suppose mints and sausages. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, yeah I tend to go for more of the, the chicken and pork because I'm much better value. Beef prices are pretty high. Qualities are not so good. Probably mints. That's cheap, eh? Ugh. Back in the shopping aisles, beef mints will set you back $12 per kilo at Costco, but bear in mind, you'll have to bulk buy. The smallest pack I saw was 3 kilograms. Compare that to $18 a kilo at Pack and Save and $19.50 at Countdown. Ellerslie Meats had two kinds of beef mints at $19 a kilo and a premium mints at $25. Pack and Save chicken drumsticks fetched $4.50 at the checkout, while Countdown had them for $6.50. A kilo of chicken breast fillets were $11 at Pack and Save and $12.70 at Countdown, while Costco had no chicken breasts or drumsticks in stock. For Ellerslie Meats butcher Ian Groves, retirement is around the corner but he predicts the rising cost of meat will lead to a trend that could take off in coming years. I think the big scene down the track with the changes in regulations will be home kill. Home kill's already quite 
quite big, but uh, the lifestyle isn't be saying, well, I'm not going to go to the, the supermarket and buy that, that crappy meat. I'd sooner get a, a home-cooked butcher in, get some sausages made, get a few steaks out of it, and have a couple of cows running around in the paddock. There we are, it's a report on meat. Well, it is uh, just about 6 o'clock this week. We're going to talk to some of the new mayors who were elected in the recent local body elections. Today we're in the great northern city of Whangarei with new mayor Vince Kokorulo. Uh The mayoralty seems like, well, it did seem like destiny for Vince because, you know, he told his schoolmates it was the job he was going to have one day. That's one of the stories that I had because basically I didn't remember the story until, of course, one of my schoolmates said, hey, Vince, I remember you telling me this in, in high school and going, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> was that, I mean, like, that was obviously what something around there for you. Were you, do you, were you like a student council person or, or when did this all speak to you? No, it was more about I wanted to make a difference for our city. And that's one of the big things. I saw what our city was going through. I saw a lot of the people and what what. You know, the hardships people were dealing with, what they wanted to, as, as roading and, and the infrastructure type things. I, I went into, after high school, I went into studying civil engineering. So you're looking about structures, you're looking about roading, you're looking about traffic movements, you're looking at all those sort of things. So I studied a lot of that. So while I, at school I may have had this dream, I was like, okay, well, my focus was more about nuts and bolts and making sure things can work. Yeah. So, I mean, the civil engineering path's an interesting one into it, because I suppose if we could go back in time to replan all of the New Zealand cities before they were set out, they certainly wouldn't be set out like they are now, would they? That is very, very true. There's a lot of them which have just been haphazard, which basically means that they've just, as they've grown, they've, they've oh, we'll tack on this here, tack on this there. I, I look to a lot of the way... Um, Australia and also the United States have done their city models where they plonk a shopping centre in the middle and then they work out and they go and they go work out the roading sequence and also the housing from that. It makes it all work together as, as the spoken hub model. Normally when they don't have an interesting harbour or anything around that. That's exactly right. They have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so when you have a look at that and, and your knowledge of it, when you have a look and, and you actually got to be involved, and I'm sure you had ideas of what the pipes were like under the streets you were walking in and yep. traffic flows yep. and what have you, once you actually get in to have that look, because it's all very well to go, I'm going to get in there and have a look at it, when you open the books and have a look at things, how, how is the infrastructure there? And when you have a look at what perhaps the money you've got in your coffers, what's your plan to move forward to get it working properly for you? One of the great things about Whangarei is Whangarei has planned well ahead when it comes to its infrastructure, when it comes to the pipes in the ground. They have actually planned and they've made sure that the pipes, the water is getting to the right places, the sewage is going away from the, to the right places, the treatment plants are in good condition, the water treatment plants are in good condition. So everything has, has been planned correctly. In that respect, yes, there are still old pipes in the ground, but the philosophy from a lot of the water engineers and things like that, if it's not causing any damage, as in like there's no contaminants coming from the pipes, let's not touch them. Because mm. usually when, as soon as you touch an old pipe, that's when everything starts breaking down. Yeah, yeah, so there's a bit, a bit of work to do there as well. And also as well, I, I know one of the things uh, that was spoken about was perhaps moving the port of Auckland up your way. Tell me, Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is one of the discussions that Wayne Brown and, and a few other councils in the past have had a discussion about. It's more about the economy and also about what's happening in Auckland. Auckland is basically getting to a point where it's getting quite 
the ports are getting very used. The, you've got the ships coming in there, the overseas ships. You've got all of the, the containers and all that. So by Northland being in so, such a close proximity to Auckland, it's about alleviating that strength, that stress. Do you think it's uh, an easy thing to do? I mean, this is there seems to be many planning there. There'll be people pulling against you trying to keep it there. Like, what would be the advantage of, of having it around where you are? One of the biggest things is, and, and you're right about the pressures on it, but one of the biggest things is, is it's about making sure that the line between here and Auckland is efficient. So we have the dry dock here, we have a we have a container port here in Whanganei, and that's able to store things for, for a time to actually get people to move things to Auckland because Auckland is where the main power base is when it comes to selling of goods and, and his major centres. Whanganei can be a, a very useful base just an hour and a half away from Auckland. Vince, the the world has been through an incredible uh, last three years, I guess, you know, a couple of years, which which has left many places a bit wrecked or whatever, probably mentally as well. As you look forward, tell me your level of optimism when you look for your Whangarei area, uh, your level of optimism for the place for, let's, let's say, the next five to ten years. Look, I have a huge level of optimism for Whangarei. One of the great things I love about Whangarei is while the rest of the country goes into lockdowns or has issues, the Whangarei people basically keep going. They have that mentality that, well, we can't rely on everybody else, so we've got to do it ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why Whangarei's water supply and sewage system is actually above the standards at the present moment. And that's why they've actually done as well as that they can do. So going forward from here, we're looking at expanding, making sure our, our networks are good, making sure, because there's a lot of people here in Auckland who want to move north and they want to get back into that lifestyle living again. Nice country out, outlook, uh, they want to be close to the ocean. You know, if I'm you, you know, explain it any other better way, half an hour to the beach, 10 minutes to the native bush. It, it's just one of those things. It's It's just the ideal lifestyle for anyone who actually still wants to have a lifestyle and actually work in Auckland. So you're looking at, as that growth happens from Auckland, the growth is going to happen in all the regionals around Auckland as well. And I've got to say, the best mints on toast I've had in New Zealand is served at the Jovial Judge. Uh, in, in town there, you, you I'll tell it. you that. It is. <laughs> new Whangarei Mayor Vince Cockerillo. Bill from Northland heavily uh, disagrees with much of that. Says um, Vince's claim that Three Waters was all about theft of our assets is too silly and dishonest and lines him up with the groundswell goons. Have you been to our hospital recently? Yeah, water was horrible there. Anyway, um, Bill, thank you very much for your feedback. Morning Report is next with Guyon and Corin. From all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful day. Be careful when you're buying your meat, and uh, we'll be back in your ears. Ah, poor, poor.